Welcome to another edition of the InsuranceAUM.com podcast. An asset class that has grown at about 20%. When people start talking about recession in the mainstream media, the real problem we have with the Fed is that they are equal parts voodoo and wishful thinking. I geek out on this conversation. These are not normal market conditions that we're typically used to. Welcome to another edition of the InsuranceAUM.com podcast. We're thrilled to have you back, and this is a good one today. We are talking about private credit with Bill Bonesack, president of Oak Hill Advisors. Bill, welcome. Hey, thank you, Stuart. Uh, it's great to be here today, and really look forward to the conversation. Me too. This is your first podcast. I'm thrilled. I can't, I can't tell you. So just to kind of start it off, right, we did a survey, kind of an informal survey of about a dozen CIOs, and they ranked private credit top of the list for relative value as they go into 2023. Private credit was the number one topic on our site year to date. So there's a lot of good stuff to talk about, and I want to get to all of it. But before we go too much further, let me just start it off with this. What's your hometown, your first job, and a fun fact? (laughs) All right. So hometown, Evanston, Illinois. It's a suburb outside of Chicago, not too far away. I think from where you spent some of your teaching career, I had a whole string of jobs growing up. And, you know, the first job was actually bagging groceries at the local Jewel grocery store in uh, Wilmette, Illinois. We know that. I know that, Jewel. In Plaza del Lago, that thing's still there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, before I went on to then uh, work as an assistant butcher, which is a whole nother whole nother story. Uh, Fun, fun fact, you know, I was asked sort of an icebreaker question with the group the other day. And it was what what was the first concert I ever saw live? And I realized that it was actually 40 years ago that I saw Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, and the Rolling Stones. It was awesome. And what was extraordinary is that they've been playing together for 20 years before I'd seen them. Isn't that Um, crazy? and, 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 you know, they're still still growing strong. You know, a, a second fun fact, just to sec- throw in a second one, because I know that this, you know, your, your audience here is, is primarily uh, insurance company investors, as I understand it, uh, is that um, you know, I'm very, you know, sort of proud to say that I, I started my career post-business school uh, working with uh, Prudential Insurance, financing buyouts and, and other you know, private market financings, going all the way back to... Um, the early 90s, uh, working in Newark, New Jersey. Wow, there you go. That is a fun fact. My uh, my first concert wasn't nearly as prestigious as that. I saw Billy Squire and Pat Benatar. So that's that's not, not nearly as good as the Rolling Stones, Bill. So can you give us a little background on Oak Hill Advisors, just if someone's not as familiar with the firm? I'm happy to. So so this is now my 30th year with Oak Hill Advisors, and, and the firm's a lot, evolved a lot over, over, over three decades. You know, today, you know, we, we are known primarily as a, a specialist in credit, credit market investing. Uh, we manage uh, nearly $60 billion of capital across private credit, distressed in special situations, structured and real asset-focused lending. Uh, as well as a, a, a meaningful footprint in the liquid leverage loan and high yield bond market. We grew initially from one multi-strategy fund backed by Robert Bass 
uh, in the late 80s to, to you know, now a, a business where, you know, we're partnering with large insurance companies, sovereign wealth funds, pensions, endowments, foundations, other types of investors. But throughout, you know, sort of the history of the firm with you know, our founder, Glenn August, you know, we've had a, you know, a real focus on fundamental credit investing being driven by an understanding, a sort of a deep, deep understanding of companies and the industries that they operate in, the cash flow and value that they generate, and then being, I would say, more flexible in the capital that we bring to bear to, to move across credit markets to where we see best risk-adjusted returns across liquid and illiquid markets. You know, very large and growing part of our business is in private credit, but but everything we do is is really focused on trying to understand where we can find best absolute and relative value, actively managing our risk, and and being a good partner to the companies and private equity sponsors that we are working with. In many cases, where we're structuring, you know, a customized financing or solutions based capital for them, and so been doing this for more than 30 years and, and feel like uh, it's a, the type of, of business where you know, your knowledge of companies and relationships that you're developing get better and stronger over time. And, and uh, we're always learning. And uh, it's a business that, that is, as we'll talk about, I imagine today, you know, is, is evolving rapidly given the markets that we're in. And, and we feel like we're really well positioned today with a, with a platform that has scale, with flexible capital, with great partner relationships in terms of those who, who provide us capital, and, and really you know, extraordinary, you know, deep, repetitive relationships with uh, the companies, the borrowers, the financial sponsors who are, who are tapping you know, credit markets uh, you know, increasingly as a source of financing. So I feel very fortunate to be in a great, great industry and have been there for a long time. And and you know, now you know, a year in uh, as a partner to an you know, an awesome organization, T. Rowe Price. You know, we have you know access to even more uh, scale and opportunity given that relationship. Yeah, they're a really good relationship for us as well, and we're happy to have them on our platform. And one of the things that I get the real advantage is I get to talk to guys like you that have a very good perspective and viewpoint on markets in general. We were just talking about you were seeing some insurers up in the Hartford area at 20 to 30,000 feet off the ground. How do you see the current market environment and what are the key questions that you're hearing from insurers right now? Well, you know, here we are and it's, it's February 3rd. So we just we're you know, basically one month into 2023, and, and it's been just an extraordinary period of time since we, we rolled uh, the calendars over you know, into the new year. I mean, 2022 was all about investing through an inflation spike and you know, the huge volatility that was created. And it was, I guess, the fifth time in 94 years of the recorded history for the S&P 500 and the 10-year Treasury that both experienced negative returns. And so, you know, at the, the very beginning of this year, you know, I mentioned at a firm-wide, you know, kickoff meeting for, the, for, for sort of the, the, the new year that, you know, we faced enormous kinetic energy in the markets last year. And that that, that left us as, as investors facing what we saw was 
was an enormous amount of potential energy built up in the markets going into 2023 that could lead to volatility as well as lead to some really exciting returns. And, and that's what we've seen in January. I mean, it, it, it was truly one of the most extraordinary you know, starts to a year or month that we've ever seen. I mean, S&P you know, is up nearly 9% year to date, NASDAQ up uh, you know, 16.5%. You know, European stocks have been very, very strong. And we've seen across you know, the, the, the Treasury curve, 50 basis points, a spread tightening through last night, uh, although I guess we've given back some of, some of that tightening this morning. And that's led you know, within credit to you know, some, some pretty extraordinary year-to-date returns. Again, just, for the, just through the uh, you know, first couple of days of here in February, High yield markets have generated five and a half percent returns. Loans, you know, for the CS loan index up two eighty. You know, lower quality credit has led the way, but even even you know investment grade credit, you know, uh, has you know it's up uh, you know four and a half to five percent you know, year to date. So it's 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 been um, you know from a market reaction standpoint thus far. You know, uh, I think a harbinger of an exciting year to come, and you know, this market reaction is, I think, a reflection of the fact that that inflation fears may be waning, that the prospect of a longer, deeper recession may be receding. There was a there was a jobs print this morning of seven of five hundred and seventeen thousand new jobs. It may, kind of hard to think about how how deep and long a recession is going to be when you keep on adding an exceptional level of jobs uh, into the economy. But following you know, eight, eight Fed interest rate hikes, you know, I think there's a lot of focus right now that on the Fed tightening may be abating. And you know, the focus is you know, for how long will the Fed hold its resolve in terms of keeping rates higher. And you know, that is, you know, I think, a pretty interesting backdrop to think about your portfolio, to think about you know, really all aspects of risk, duration, spreads. And while we entered the year with, I think, some very attractive yields, some very attractive spreads, you know, this move thus far is, is pretty startling. And, you know, for example, double B high yield spreads come in 58 basis points and a single B in 100 basis points. So you really have to then think about where is, you know, their excess return? What, where is both absolute and relative value evolving? In such a fast-paced market, and the, the key point I would say, from a fundamental standpoint, is we don't think we're necessarily out. Well, while inflation appears to be waning, we don't feel like we're out of the inflation risk picture. We believe that through the first six months of this year, we're going to see some some weak earnings in particular sectors and companies. We think there's real, you know, sort of idiosyncratic trends in terms of how companies are. Are dealing with inflation, are seeing changes in demand for their products and services. Certainly, uh, as we'll talk about later, you know what higher interest rates means to valuations, access to capital, free cash flow are all really important issues that we as investors are going to be thinking about this year. Yeah, and I mean, I think as you know, I mean, we do a number of podcasts with insurance CIOs. And with the backup in rates in 2022, there was a lot of discussion of, you know what, I can go out and buy, I could even buy the two-year treasury note and raise my book yield. 
And it seemed like there was a tailwind to public markets after the shakeout. And I don't have data to support that other than the anecdotes told by the CIOs themselves. So when you look at public versus private market relative value, what do you see? Oh, you know, so this is a great sort of topic of conversation with with a lot of our investors, not just insurance companies. You know, yields have, have moved pretty dramatically over the last year, you know, despite you know, the rally that we've, we've talked about uh, year to date. And that does give investors, you know, a, a lot of choices. You can sit in cash in a money market fund today and earn four and a half percent. And for all markets, the choices of where you want to access yield and return, you know, have changed dramatically. Public versus private in credit, we have to think about, you know, the rate component. We have to think about the spread component. When you move into privates, you think about the liquidity premium or complexity premium. And so, now, where we have, and I'd say that the industry over the last several years, I'll say the industry, you know, global investor portfolio shifts over the last several years, because we've been in a low interest rate environment, there was just a need for yield and return. And that pushed a lot of investors to embrace private markets. And we've seen a, you know, a very, very significant growth in areas like private credit over that period of time. Now there's, I think, more opportunity to be thinking about public market for how you layer and yield into your portfolio. So I think that that this is a natural, it's a, it's a great point in time for investors to be asking the question about relative value. We've seen periods, and for, I would say, for much of really the, I would say just from 2020 on, We've seen volatility from, you know, induced by the pandemic, induced by you know, the, the closing and opening of markets, now this inflation surge, where the relative value has shifted pretty dramatically between public and private markets. You saw that in, uh, you know, just with the, the, you know, the March time period in 2020, the sell-off in the public markets, where for what was then a very short period of time, public market loans in high yield just went, you know, got very, very cheap as markets panicked and investors dumped risk. And that was an opportunity you could really only capture in the public markets because the private markets had, you know, basically closed down for a month or two and until, you know, borrowers were able to then sort of, you know, come back to the private market. And, and we saw that actually similarly in 2022 in the first half where public markets got very cheap as the markets sold off and, and private markets hadn't really reacted. So there's an opportunity to be nimble and move among these, these markets on a real-time basis. You know, for a lot of our investors, though, they tend to think more strategically in terms of asset allocation. And I think that's actually a good idea. And for a whole variety of reasons, for investors who can take on illiquidity and complexity premium, we think that there is a really good case to be made for you know, meaningful allocation to private markets credit, you know, broadly defined. But let's talk about the relationship right now, which is I think really where you know your questions focus. Today, what are we seeing? So, so we often start with the building blocks of relative value, thinking about where 
double B loan risk in the liquid market is pricing. And today that's, you know, call it on you know, the high 6% yields, low 300 spreads on a, on a floating rate. You know, you can also look at, at double B high yield bonds yielding about 6.3%. You know, spreads today, you know, at, at 250 over, which interestingly came in to, came in from, you know, what was it about 300 over, you know, just at the, the uh, beginning of the year. So a lot of tightening in the public markets in privates today and, and just sort of bellwether corporate, you know, larger cap unit tranche risk. We've seen that pricing at SOFR plus 650 to 700. We haven't seen much tightening there. You know, despite the fact that these are spreads that have widened out quite a bit. In fact, OIDs have, have also been you know, attractive. This is sort of the, the points of discount that an investor receives on purchase of the, of, of the loan. You know, and those have been in sort of the 96 to 98 range in terms of purchase you know, entry cost. And so that's implying some yields you know, through, through a whole period of low double-digit unlevered gross returns. So you compare that to you know what you can get in the public markets, and we think there's meaningful premium there today. We think that that is offering really attractive, you know, relative risk-adjusted return. And then, of course, there are all sorts of different sub-markets across private credit, different pricing. But I think that that would be sort of a benchmark, public versus private in, in corporate space, where we think that you know there's there's compelling. You know, value today. We've seen a lot of movement in the markets over the last month. It could be that, you know, you could see it would it wouldn't surprise me to see private markets react to that over the next couple of months. But um, there's some interesting technicals in the private market where we could certainly see spreads remain pretty wide. So Bill, at the top of the show, I mentioned that the survey that we did that said insurers see private assets as the number one ranked in terms of relative value. So specifically in the private credit markets, where do you see opportunities? And where do you see opportunities in the non-corporate private sector? Well, sure. So, so you know, our business has, has evolved over the years to now a fairly broad you know, private credit platform where we're financing a variety of different types of companies and against a variety of different types of assets. And really across the spectrum, we're seeing you know, interesting opportunities. You know, in corporate private credit, our historical bias has been on larger cap companies. And for a variety of different reasons, we, we think that that to us offers more compelling risk-adjusted return. Bigger companies, from our perspective, have typically more proven businesses, more diversification, better management teams, more pricing power to pass along things like you know, inflation, you know, related uh, input costs to their clients, et cetera. And so in that area today, you know, we're focusing on companies with 75 to $75 million to EBITDA and above. And, you know, and typically, you know, our portfolios will have average EBITDA of call it 150 million. So these are bigger types of businesses, market leading businesses. And that's an area where, you know, owners of companies, private equity sponsors have increasingly been moving to private market financing solutions. And we think it's good risk adjusted return. I'd say that 
you know, last year we did 62 transactions across 30 sponsors. Over the last couple of years, we've invested, I think, between 21 and 22, $17 billion of capital. A lot of it was in unit tranche. And as I said you know, a few minutes ago, that, that risk, you know, first dollar, you know, secured risk in a capital structure, 40 to 50% loan to value, zero to 40, zero to 50% loan to value, that that's, um, you know, we believe, you know, an extraordinary opportunity in the current market where you can pick and choose, you know, the types of companies, types of industries you want exposure to. And there's a technical in terms of demand for capital relative to supply that's pretty attractive. And actually very few, very few larger platforms and, and partners like OHA that have the scale to be able to, you know, provide a solution. So we like that uh, opportunity. You know, it, before we move off of corporate, let me also say that that while we prefer senior secured, there are also opportunities to provide second lien and more junior capital and get paid really handsomely for taking on more risk. If you think about what's happened, where you know companies are in some cases facing you know higher cost structures, more you know, interest expense, and maybe finding it more challenging to access capital. The opportunity we're finding right now in terms of what we call junior capital solutions, or maybe a sponsor's looking to do an add-on acquisition and the markets have shifted, we're going to ask them maybe to put in some more equity capital. We'll provide in, you know, provide uh, some, some junior capital to maybe delever uh, the capital structure a bit and, and help them finance an acquisition and get some really attractive terms and structure to go with it. So, so we're seeing opportunity, I'd say, across the spectrum in corporate credit. And as we maybe talk a little bit more about distressed in a few minutes, there's, there's opportunity. We think, you know, as you see liquidity needs, you know, becoming even more acute, you know, opportunities from a you know, capital solution standpoint. When you think about non-corporate risk, there are a range of markets where the banks continue to be pulling back from very capital-intensive industries where those industries themselves are growing. Maybe it's just not the banks. You also see securitization markets pulling back. And so at OHA, we have you know, a focus on you know, a range of different end markets across digital infrastructure, which would include cell towers, data centers, fiber assets, aircraft finance, energy finance, particularly energy transition, shipping and containers, different types of real estate uh, assets. In fact, real estate is another sector that we we could have a whole podcast on, but there are enormous opportunities and challenges across the commercial real estate world today as uh, access to capital and sort of re-rating of, of cap rates and valuation, we think are going to have profound implications across real estate. And so there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. And, you know, an emerging area for us and, and the market as a whole is in an area that we, we call broadly GP solutions and nav lending, where Access to capital for private equity sponsors who have portfolio company needs that they can't finance on a portfolio company base basis or portfolio needs where maybe a fund is out of capital 
but has a need to do an add-on acquisition or wants to buy back bonds or wants to you know, facilitate another sort of you know, solution for the private equity fund or, or the sponsor, that we see you know, really attractive opportunities to lean in with flexible capital and use our relationships to, to create opportunities. And so you know, across, across the spectrum, I'd say that, that there's, uh, there's opportunity but you know, it's it's really picking and choosing the the types of risk that that you may have to you know carry through a recession. There's uncertainty in in uh, the markets for sure, and you need to lend against assets where you know you well while the underlying credit may not be tied to EBITDA. There's typically some sort of sensitivity to the underlying businesses and need to really understand you know the the asset and structure appropriately that you know you're protected in just about all scenarios so that your your capital's protected and you're going to get your return. So I'd say there's there's a lot of opportunity in private credit. We've covered a lot there. So you know maybe there's a follow-up question or two to to take on. Yeah, and I mean I I think the one that you know is something you touched on just briefly earlier is what's your market outlook on distressed? So, you know, it's interesting. I think that, that the distressed business is, is, is one that's been core to us for a very long period of time. You know, we've invested more than $20 billion in, in distressed opportunities, and it's been our highest returning strategy. So we love distressed investing, and we do it across you know, trading opportunities, influence opportunities where we can get in and really help restructure a business or control where we end up owning a company coming through a reorganization process. And yet, we've also been of the view that there are times to lean into distress and there are times to perhaps lean out of it because we have found that distressed returns you know, are often best paired when you've got real forced sellers in the markets and you're able to source opportunities at very significant discounts relative to the intrinsic value that we're investing against. And I would say in this environment, default rates have been remaining very low. Access to financing over the last many years and the cost of that financing has made, you know, for very few defaults. And I would say looseness of capital structures has also changed the game, you know, meaningfully because companies, you know, have not only found an ability to access additional capital when they otherwise might have been forced to restructure, but it's, it's just changed the, the type of investing that, that we and other distressed investors are finding as attractive. Well, as we look at this year, you know, you see default rate estimates by the big banks in sort of the three to four percent range over the next few years. You know, if you take those numbers and you apply that against a high yield bond leverage loan and private credit universe that totals over four trillion dollars here in the United States, you know, you can think about over the next, let's say, three years, ten-ish percent of the market defaulting. You know, that's you're talking about just you know, and, and leaving aside. Real estate, which is a huge market where we think there's going to be a lot of distress. Europe, which is a softer economy or set of economies that 
We think there's going to be more stress and distress. This is a big opportunity over the next several years that we're excited about, but it falls short of a wholesale opportunity unless we see some sort of exogenous shock policy mistake by the Fed or you know, just a, a, a deeper, more prolonged recession than is expected. And when you get those wholesale opportunities, then you see default rates go up into the high single digits. We look at a measure of, of sort of opportunity in the markets. You, know, you should look at the distressed ratio. It's a statistic produced by Bank of America on a monthly basis that measures the amount of, of stress in the high yield market where the percentage of high-yield bonds are trading in excess of 1,000 basis points is measured. And, and at the end of January, that, uh, that number was, as I recall, less than 8%. The last reading was less than 8%. By the end of January, given the rally that we've had, I think it's going to be even lower. And so the distress ratio is telling you that there's not necessarily today a wholesale opportunity but you know, we, we are believing that, uh, A, there's, there's a fairly reasonable expectation on base level of distressed activity over the next few years that's going to make sort of the regular way distressed opportunity pretty attractive. And think that there's certainly an opportunity, uh, as we've you know, typically found in these markets every couple of years, for you know, some sort of market volatility, some sort of shock, some sort of stress to the system it creates more of a wholesale distressed investment environment. So that's what we're thinking about on the distress side. And, and you can see it in you know, certain industries, we're starting to see the impact of higher interest rates or inflation or labor market issues. So you can see it in healthcare, you can see it in certain technology and, and software companies. And so our pipeline of, of distressed opportunities has actually been building you know, over the last couple of months. Very good. And I want to thank you because I get a chance to learn so much from you and, and our audience does as well. And I, and, and I appreciate you being on. I, I'd wrap with this. You mentioned at the top of the show that you've been at Oak Hill Advisors for 30 years. And I, I want to take you back to that first day that you walk through the door. And you might have just gotten a coffee or whatever, and you're, you're fired up and ready to walk through the office. And if, if you could catch that guy today right before he walked through the door, what advice would you give him? Well, so I actually get an opportunity to talk to our young people when there's, we, we hired typically 10 or 12 people right out of college every year as part of the training program. So I get an opportunity to talk to them about their careers and what might make them successful. And I also get a chance to talk to my three kids and their friends who are, two of them are in college. And so, you know what's interesting right now, I'll tell, I'll tell you what I, I told my, my son the other day and a couple of his buddies is, and this is unrelated to finance, is that beware the work from home. Embrace an opportunity to go into an office and learn from people far more experienced than you are. So much of what I've learned in my career is through mentoring and working with some of the most extraordinarily talented people I've ever had the pleasure of, of knowing. And that is done through working in an office. And so I really think that to the extent that you're starting off in your career, 
find an opportunity to work in an office around really good people where you're going to learn as much as you possibly can, because that will help you dramatically over the course of your career. So that's something I think particularly relevant to the here and now. I'd say, you know, more generally, and this is something that we look for in our young people because it's so core to who we are as a firm and as a culture, is that we look for people who really want to be on a team and who value and lean into teamwork. And there's so much focus on the hard skills and the smarts and the technical capabilities of young people. And we're so fortunate to have some absolute wonderful young people join us each year. But the intangible, I think, that leads to success comes from young people who embrace the opportunity to work on a team, who go and help out their colleagues, who stay late and help a, you know, another junior analyst build a model or, or analyze a particular aspect of a covenant or capital structure. And that teamwork pays itself back so much in terms of a, developing better relationships, friendships. I think it, you learn more. I think your organizations will value it, recognize it, and ultimately just lead to a more fulfilling, happy you know, sort of experience. So just some thoughts to, to share with our young people. That's great advice, Bill. Thanks very much for being on. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Stuart. And congratulations to you and the, the community you've been so successful in developing. Thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. We, uh, we're fortunate to have you on. So we've been joined today by Bill Bonesack, president of Oak Hill Advisors. Thanks for being on. Thanks for listening. If you have ideas for podcasts, please send us a note at podcast at insuranceaum.com. Please rate us, like us, and review us at Apple Podcast. My name is Stuart Foley, and this is the insuranceaum.com podcast. Mm-hmm.